show number 19 of I Read Comics with your host, Lena Taylor. So, I'm going to become a hermit. I decided that today. And not the fun sort of Eric Idle hermit from Monty Python, just a hermit. I was in Albuquerque last weekend, and it was so amazing. I love it. I'm going to go to Albuquerque and be a hermit. And at the end of the show, I'll tell you why, exactly why I'm going to be a hermit. I also wanted to say that at the end of the show, instead of the usual fabulous um, Ginger Mayerson closing music, there's going to be something different. My very good friend Gregory from New Zealand sent me a... Um, an audio file of a poem set to music. It's not really music. It's more like a interpretation and parts of it are sort of discordant. The poem is called The Maori Jesus and it's by uh, James Baxter, who is a famous New Zealand poet. And it's a really wonderful, strange, angry, mystic poem. And it was done on this track by two guys, both named David, David Downs and David Eggleton. And I really like it. And I thought I would share it around because it's so very good. I also have something else from Gregory that I want to read. My good friend, Greg, what would I do without Greg? He sends me the most interesting stuff. So I've got some old stuff and some new stuff. And yes, this is the episode where there's a big rant about why the last man. And it's going to be in the middle. <laughs> I have to do some fun stuff before it because otherwise it'll just be too much and I'm hoping that I can sort of keep control of myself while I'm ranting because you know I read again through all three issues so that I could be prepared to do this and it just made me mad all over again (sighs) anyway so let me take a very quick musical break get all my notes and stuff organized do some fun stuff take another break and then we're going to do why the last man why oh why the last man Let's do the old stuff first. I think I mentioned before that I'm working my way through the trade paperbacks of Ultimate Spider-Man. And this time around, uh, it was Volume 2, Learning Curve, and Volume 3, and I forget what it's called. Um, The only problem is that from my library, Volume 2 is a trade paperback and Volume 3 was the hardcover. And I didn't realize when I checked them out that the issues aren't the same in each of them. So Volume 2 goes up to, like, Issue 11 And then Volume 3 in the hardcover picks up at issue, like, 27. So I missed a whole bunch of them in there. So now I have to actually go back to the library and look at them physically, pick them up, and make sure that I can get the ones that have all the missing issues in it. So I I missed the first encounter with Doc Ock and a bunch of other stuff in there. But um, it it remains interesting. I'm glad I'm reading it. Um, I have to criticize the art a little bit here. 
it's really beginning to freak me out a little that the characters look so anime. That is, they have gigantic eyes and there's way too much attention paid to the hair. Like, the hair is just overwhelming me. It's it's like Medusa hair. I feel like it's going to jump right off the page and strangle me. And the eyes are just way too big for the face. And with the women in particular, the mouths are too big, too. So they're starting to look a little bit like the Joker. Um, they're all supposed to be 15, right? Peter is drawn pretty much like, I don't know, 15, 16. Mary Jane looks like she's about 22. And <laughs> Gwen Stacy looks to me like a 45-year-old... Denny's waitress. She just looks really old the way she's drawn. Also, in volume three, which, so volume three um, was all about Venom and the suit and how the suit came to be. So it was that whole storyline. And um, she's there and she gets involved with Eddie. And um, there's a scene where she goes to Eddie Brock's college dorm room and he tries to put the moves on her and she says no and leaves. And there are two panels in particular, which I have scanned in. They're on the blog, so go take a look at them where she looks like a drag queen. She really does. Like, why did the artist draw her this way? She doesn't look like this in any other panel of the book. I mean, she looks old still in the other panels, but in this particular panel, she just looks like a 45-year-old Denny's waitress drag queen. And it's really kind of disturbing, and I showed it to some other folks, and they agreed with me, yes, she looks like a drag queen. Um, So now, for me, when I see Gwen Stacy, I've mentally assigned her Harvey Firestein's voice which probably isn't a really fair thing to do, but it makes it a little more amusing for me when I'm reading it. And she's talking to Aunt May and saying, Oh, my father's dead. I'm so depressed. So if that helps you get through it, go ahead and do it. Um, but I'm, I'm glad I'm reading it. Oh, I wanted to mention one other thing um, about the art. Again, uh, I had talked in a couple shows about this thing called the Kuleshov effect, which is where you use the same image, but you put a different... Um, context around it, different images before it, and it renders a different interpretation, which I thought Bendis used in great effect in Torso. So on one of the pages in um, the second trade, when Peter is going to tell Mary Jane that he's really Spider-Man, there's like pages and pages before he finally blurts it out. It's like, oh, just tell her already. Just like, like, it's a wonderful life. Just shut up and kiss her. And they do that. The artist has done that. He's used the same, exact same panel of her looking at him while Peter's sort of fumbling around like, "Ah, I have to tell you something. And um, the curious thing is that it doesn't have any effect. Like, there's no meaning in it. The context doesn't bring anything new to it. And in the comments section of the blog, after I had discussed that effect for the first time, somebody posted a comment saying... Um, yeah, there's a name for it when the artist uses the same panel again and again with just different words. It's called being lazy, <laughs> which is pretty funny. And in this case, I think it was being lazy. I don't think there was any kind of artistic value to it whatsoever. So um, hopefully that won't be happening much in the rest of them. But I am going to keep plowing through the trades. That's sort of my goal for the year is to get through all these Ultimate Spider-Mans. I thought the Venom storyline was really interesting and well done, and the art was really good, the way that the artist drew Venom. Um, the, the suit when it was taking over was pretty awesome. I was quite impressed with that. Um, so it, it's good. So I'll, I'll have to go back and, like I said, I'm going to figure out what I missed <laughs> in, that, in the trade that I didn't get. So that was the old thing. Um, the new thing is I have some more gay porn, some more yowie. Hee! Ginger gave it to me. It's called Skyscrapers of Oz. And this is apparently a really big 
title for uh, the company that publishes it. I'm looking at it right now. Um, it's Kitty Media. And I'm pretty sure I saw this all over the place when we were at YaoiCon this year. It's by um, Yoshino Some and Rao Takakura. And it's an ad- um, adaptation of a novel. I think there are probably more novels in the series. And it's it's really interesting. Um, this particular volume collects one, two, three, four, four different uh, manga that came out into one book. And it's black and white like all this other stuff is. It's pretty nice, though. It's got a nice cover. The plot, to me, is almost incomprehensible, but that's okay. It's something to do with spying on people and private detectives and getting evidence to blackmail somebody else. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's it's pretty damn incomprehensible, but that's okay. Um, there's some really nice sex in here, which I, I um, have to comment on. The very strange Japanese censorship laws require that you can't actually show the sex, like the actual penetration, whether it's gay or straight, it doesn't matter. So you have these very, very hot scenes where these guys are all over each other, and then through the panel where you would be seeing in actual gay porn, like intercourse and penetration, it's invisible. (laughs) It's really kind of interesting, sort of like ghost sex or something. Um, So that's strange. The, I I really like um, the way that the artist has drawn the faces of the people while they're actually kissing or having sex or something. It's very nice, very well done. Um, there's a couple other weird things about the art that I just want to mention, which is that uh, they, a lot of the characters look like pinheads. They're, the guys are drawn really big and hugely broad shoulders. In fact, sometimes their bodies are, are overly muscled. And then they have these little tiny pinheads sitting on top, which is a little bit strange. I'm not sure if that's a Japanese art thing that I just don't know about, but man, it looks pretty strange. Um, and then the other disturbing thing about the art is that there is a character in here who's supposed to be the the lover of, of one of the two main private detective guys. And damn, if he doesn't look like he's about nine years old, um, I realize that he's supposed to be 17, 18. He's in school, but he's supposed to be an older type of schoolboy. But, ooh, it's a little bit scary. He's um, very short and has a very girlish face. And in fact, there's at least one panel where he's drawn wearing this weird off-the-shoulder a sweater thing that looks like Jane Mansfield should be wearing it. It's extremely feminine. So I don't know. It's kind of weird, but I liked it. I thought it was good. There's some good art and a little good action in there. Some of that um, nice photorealism stuff going on in the background. And um, of course the hair is all beautifully drawn. So um, thanks Ginger for getting me this. I'm really enjoying it. What else do we have? Oh, I know. I wanted to read email that Gregory had sent me. Um, he lives in New Zealand and recently decided that he was going to go to a comic book store because he hadn't been to a comic book store in a long time. And um, I've been talking about comic book stores and how I hadn't been in one in a long time and how wonderful it was to go back to Comic Relief and see how cool it was. By the way, I'm going to have an interview with Rory, Rory Root from Comic Relief as soon as I can get him on the phone and we can set up a time for an interview. But um, one of my listeners has kindly agreed to facilitate that, which is really wonderful. So Gregory went to a comic book store for the first time. and I wanted to read what he had to say because I think this is a good example of what it's like for somebody who hasn't been in a store in a long time to go back in and what their impressions were. And he's got some really interesting suggestions at the end for people who run comic book stores. So he says, uh, 
Oh, he has a few notes about what the inside of the store looks like, and he says the people were a nice cross-section of cliches from goth girl and suit man boy to overly large schoolchild and nervous newbie guy. That's me. No one eyeballed and nobody hit on me. I must be losing my touch. Uh, he says it's a really nice, clean and bright shop with well-stocked shelves and a generally good vibe, but perhaps a bit clinical feeling. So um, he went and shopped for stuff and... He says, my aim was to try to see if I could latch onto a run or two of superhero comics that I could follow over the months and get a feel for the way that I might usually read as a trade are initially distributed and written for. My general leanings were towards Marvel over DC, but I was open to anything really. I'd done a little prep on the interweb before, um, beforehand by looking at what Marvel was producing at the moment, and so I thought I'd be okay. Frankly, I was unprepared. I'm standing at a chest-height rack of comics, trying to steer clear of Wolverine number 3000 and aiming for Nightcrawler number single digit, but things are such a kaleidoscope of colors and shapes that I can't focus. I'm sifting through trying to find the elusive number one to start me on my way to filling my first long box, but I'm getting dizzy and tired. Um, now, I guess this is nothing new to you, and it's just how comics work. You have to be in the state, in at the start or miss out, but it doesn't help the casual shopper. I suppose I thought for some reason there'd be a couple of new runs starting today. Am I that self-centered? Um, so he did end up buying a couple of things, but he had a couple of suggestions, which I thought were pretty interesting. He says, more signage. Each rack needs a nice big Marvel or DC or whatever sign on top, with signs organizing things vertically into subgroups, X-Men-ish stuff, Batman-esque things, etc. The racks had no vertical separation, so things just kind of looked jumbled. I'm trying to remember... This is me again. Um, if they had signs over at Comic Relief, and I don't think they did, although they did have big signs saying these are where the superhero comic books are. And they were somewhat organized on the racks, but like you kind of had to know what you were looking for. And I think that's what Greg's talking about. He says, what about a nice glossy plastic sleeve with issue number one, get hooked now on it, that's placed over the first issue of a run? Or maybe a separate issue number one rack at the front of the comic area where dudes like me would congregate? Or a whiteboard with starting this week from Marvel. Even just placing the short-run issues at the top of the racks would help. I think that's a really good idea. Um, lift the racks a foot off the ground. That's just advice from a guy who gets sore knees when bending down too long. Yeah, I have that same kind of um, complaint, too, that the racks go all the way to the ground normally. And it's really hard to look at what's down there, um, especially if you're tall like me, you know, getting down there onto the floor and people are, like, kicking you and stuff. And it's just hard to read. I realize that in a store you need to maximize every inch of space that you have, uh, but it's it's kind of hard getting down near the floor like that. Um, Let's see. The issue, he says, the issue, that issue five of six kind of thing on some comics is really nicely reassuring, but I know some comics don't work that way. They have open-ended runs. Maybe some indication that this comic is complete in itself. Um, so I think that's a good idea, too. If it is going to be a limited run, maybe it should say so on the cover so that you would know. Um... He says, the organization seemed to be something like, for example, all Wolverines together, and I mean mixed together, regardless of run. So there's, so there's Wolverine 147 on top of a Wolverine 6 of 10. This is kind of confusing to me. Just more separation and better organization. Employ a consulting librarian. So I, I think those are all really good suggestions, and it's interesting for me to hear from somebody else who hasn't been in a store for a while. I think I, I would like to go to Comic Relief and um, take with me a friend who hasn't ever been in a comic book store and see what kind of reaction um, I could get, and I would take notes or secretly tape record it or something like that. The other new thing that I have is issues 11 through 14 of JLA Classified, 
Um, I don't have 15 yet, but I'm getting it tomorrow. These all came to me courtesy of my geek friend Logan, who's been so very good about loaning me new things that I would never buy on my own. But he buys them and, and we swap, so works out really well. This is the first time I've read a, a Justice League comic book in a really long time. The only Justice League comic books that I have are ones that I have from, like, you know, 1969 through 1970. So I haven't read any JLA in forever. It's really cool to see the characters that I haven't seen for a long time working together like this. And this little run, this uh, Hell on Earth stuff, is um, really good. So yay, Warren Ellis. I, I think the writing is great. And it's interesting stuff plot-wise. The art is really beautiful. Um, I'm very impressed with the quality of it, and I think the way some of the stories are told, there's a lot of internal monologue, which is great, and characters sort of talking to themselves. Um, I like that a lot. I think it gives it quite a lot of depth, and uh, it's really cool. So I'm looking forward to uh, the conclusion to see how it actually comes out. I'm kind of thinking that the JLA is going to defeat the enemy and maybe save the world. But I don't know. could turn out different. So, uh, yay, Justice League. Oh, and on a very sad note, you know, everybody's saying that the last episode of Teen Titans was broadcast just the other day. And I hope that's not true. I hope they do more Teen Titans on TV because I really like them a lot. And the the last episode, if it really was the last episode, didn't wrap anything up. It explored some older issues, but it did not bring everything to uh, a big close with a ribbon on top. So I hope there's more Teen Titans. Let's take a little break, and then we're going to be back with Why, Oh Why, Did I Ever Read The Last Man? Why the Last Man, First Three Trades, written by Brian K. Vaughn, illustrated by Pio Guerrera, a woman. These were loaned to me by Ginger, who bought them a while ago, um, and had written a very eloquent review, I thought, over at the Lincoln Heights Literary Society, in which she said she didn't like them. I read her review, and somebody else reviewed them at Lincoln Heights and said that she did like them. So, there you go. Uh, I heard lots about this from various people saying that they thought it was great, 
didn't see too many reviews saying that they didn't like it. Um, I usually trust Ginger on these sorts of things because we have very similar tastes, and I thought her objections were valid objections to it. I had also seen in a number of places that people were recommending this as something you could give somebody to get started on in comics. In fact, I saw in a lot of places people saying, yeah, I gave this to my girlfriend to get her into comics. Why would they do that? I don't know. Maybe because it's mostly women. There's one guy, well, mostly, but it's it's supposed to be about women. I mean, it's not about women, but it's in a world of women. There's the one guy and everybody else is a woman. So <clears throat> given all that, I thought I should read them and I tried very hard to go in with an open mind. So let me say first off, I didn't like them. I thought they were shit. And if you would like to try to change my mind, please don't bother because there's nothing you can say to convince me that these are good books. And I am not going to try to read more than the first three trades because I literally wanted to throw the last one across the room. So you're not going to change my mind, whatever it is. My mind is made up. It may be a closed one, but it's made up nevertheless. I I was trying to think of how I wanted to, to list the things that I didn't like about this book. So I'm I'm going to try to put them into two categories, things I didn't like and things that I think are stupid and shitty. <laughs> Category of things that I don't like are... I don't like the main character, Yorick. He's a jerk. He's a loser. He admits it. He says so several times throughout the book. He says, I'm just a loser. I've never done anything. Everybody else has done more than me, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I can't disagree with that. I think that's a pretty rational self-assessment. I also don't like the fact that most of the women characters in this book are unlikable. There are a few that are, are good people that you would want to be with, that you would trust your life to. But on the whole, most of them are, are pretty hittable. Um, but, you know, maybe that's the style in comic books these days, that people are just unlikable. It's certainly the style of TV shows, what little TV I watch, you know, like science fiction TV shows. Pretty much everybody is a pain in the ass and angry and grumpy all the time. So who knows? Maybe that's the way it goes. So those are things that I just didn't like. The art is fine, although I have to say I could do without seeing a woman's brains blown out in every trade paperback um, in beautiful graphic color with blood and everything flying all over the place. You know, there's enough of that in real life. I don't really need to see it in a comic book. So here, here are the things that I think are wrong with it as a story. And maybe this is because I read too much science fiction. And I like good science fiction. I like science fiction where you take a, a wild premise and you make it work. You create a realistic world that supports this premise. And you have a story that has internal logic. You create a universe where things make sense and things happen for a reason and they work with it or whatever your concept is. You know, it's part of the reason I like Star Trek is that they tried. They tried to make everything logical within the universe and stuff didn't just happen for no reason. You know, there was no magic involved in it. You believed that things would happen because they were explained that way and things would fail and, and you know, there just weren't mysterious things going on. And I like that about <clears throat> comic books, too, even when they're superhero comic books and you have to take something on faith, right? That Superman can fly and then he comes from Krypton and he's got powers. That Peter Parker can get bitten by a radioactive spider and therefore he becomes superpowered. You know, you suspend your disbelief and you accept that. But in all other respects, the world works the way you think the world works. What I can't accept is a story like this in which... 
the premise, which I have to say is a fantastic premise. This is, is amazing. You know, it, he, Brian came on, took something and he said this in interviews, you know, it's a thing that guys might say, Oh, wouldn't you like to be the last man on earth? Well, here's what it might really be like. What a great idea. And he came up with an interesting way of causing it to happen really good. And then, you know, it just goes to shit after that. So I, I'm reading this and I suspend my disbelief that all the men on earth, all the male mammals on earth. And as one of the characters says, all the fetuses, all the male fetuses spontaneously die a horrible death at the same moment all around the world. Okay. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to say, I I believe that I'm going to go with your premise here. Now, clearly it's not a disease as we know it. It's not a virus because it affects every single male mammal at the same time. And we, we pretty much know that viruses don't do that. The viruses that we are aware of. So there's something else going on. That's the mystery. Why did this happen? Except for, um, dipshit Yorick and his dipshit monkey. And I cannot figure out why the monkey is in the story, except for him to say clever things like, don't touch my monkey. I suppose it gets explained later on, but I'll never read those trades. So I won't know. So him and his monkey, um, and we have to figure out what's going to happen and how the human race might be saved, since this is a worldwide catastrophe that's bound to, to end in death for just about everything on the earth, except for, you know, reptiles and fishes. That's the way the story starts. Um, prior prior to that, we, we get a little bit of backstory in York and find out that he's, you know, one of those overprivileged straight white guys who can't get a job out of college. Um, of course, he has a beautiful, intelligent... Um, skinny, blonde, white, has perfect breasts kind of girlfriend who's studying in Australia. And of course, you know, she loves him even though he's clearly a loser. So there was that. Um, and then, you know, he's about to propose to her and then the, the catastrophe happened just as she's about to tell him something. I was sort of wondering what it was she was going to say to him. Wasn't sure if she was about to break up with him or whether she was going to say she was pregnant by somebody else. But she says, there's something I should tell you. I was curious to know what that was. I suppose, again, we find out later on, but I'll never know what it is. So um, the the tragedy happens, and then we see all the women in the world trying to pick up the pieces. So um, two months go by after the, the catastrophe, and, and we see things starting to pick up. Now, this was the point at which um, I, I started to get pissed off, and someone's going to accuse me of taking this too seriously. I just know it. But we see York walking around with a gas mask on his face to dis- disguise the fact that he's male. He almost gets run over by a garbage truck, and it's a woman driving it. And the joke, I guess it's a joke, is that she used to be a supermodel, and now she has to drive a garbage truck, boy. And you know, when I drive a garbage truck that's full of rotting corpses, I always wear skin-tight leather pants and a tank top belly shirt because, frankly, I love getting rotting flesh all over my body. You know, it's the most natural thing in the world. It's amazing that she's not wearing high heels. So, like, what's up with that? That alone was enough to make me want to throw this across the room. And if it was supposed to be some kind of ironic comment, it doesn't work. It's not funny. It's stupid. It's just plain stupid. Okay, so that goes on, and then York gets reunited with his mother, who's a um, congressperson, and uh, there's some battle, and we see a woman get her her brains blown out. Very nice. 
his mother tries to put him in a safe place, that is, lock him in an underground vault, but he escapes because he's an escape artist. And then, suddenly, he decides that he has to go find his girlfriend. He has to go to Australia. And his mother and the President of the United States and the Secret Service all agree that that's a really good idea, that it's probably okay for him to go wandering around the country um, with, you know, very little protection and that he should stay in the United States, but he can go and look at his girlfriend. Like, what's up with that? Here is the guy who might be, the, might be, we don't know, the only man left in the whole world, and they're just going to let him wander around instead of, you know, putting him under house arrest or something. Makes no sense whatsoever. Now, here's the things that really irk me about this story. As a science fiction story, so I'm putting on my editor hat if I'm editing my science fiction journal and somebody submits this to me, and they set it up like this, and, you know, here's the premise, here goes Yorick on his way through the country with his stupid monkey trying to find, you know, scientists and eventually find his girlfriend and all the rest of it. First thing I say is, um, where's the electricity coming from? Where's the gas coming from to power vehicles? Where's the food coming from? Where's the infrastructure? There's no infrastructure. If a catastrophe like this happened throughout the entire world, if all of the male population died, there would be no infrastructure. And I don't say that because women are not capable of running the infrastructure. It's just that the way things are set up right now, there wouldn't be enough warm bodies to do it. You know, electricity doesn't run by itself. Power plants don't run by themselves. Water purification plants do not just run on automatic. This isn't things to come, you know. It's not H.G. Wells. You need people to monitor these things. Maybe things would have rolled along just fine for like a week after the catastrophe, but after that, you can be sure (laughs) all the stuff that you expect is not going to be there. So what do you do? So you're a woman with two little girls and you're in your house in suburbia, and you've got no water. And all the food you have is in your house in cans, and the rest of it's rotting because you have no electricity. How long is that canned food going to last you? Probably not too long. Where are you going to go get it? At the store? Well, money probably doesn't have much value anymore. You're going to go shoot an elk or something? What's going to (laughs) happen? It seems pretty clear in a situation like that, that for some extended period of time, There isn't going to be a society the way we know it, that people are just going to revert to survivalist mode and little communities will form where people can either support themselves or figure out how to get what they need. The only people who can really support themselves are the people who live on farms, who actually have the food right there. But again, who's going to be harvesting all that food? Who's going to be out there running the combine harvesters to get in those acres and acres of wheat, you know? I know that there are some women out there who can do it, but not a lot. You know, it's the same with, like, the power plants and the oil rigs. How many women work on oil rigs? I'm sure there are some, but it's not that many. How many women are the troubleshooters at the water purification plants? I'm sure there are some, but not that many. I'm just saying that throughout the whole story in these three trades, this kind of stuff is never mentioned. You know, it's an inconvenience to the main characters. We don't see the kind of anarchy that would be happening, and we don't see the kind of communities, these independent communities that are going to be forced to come up. And of course, there's going to be a segment of the population that goes completely crazy and, you know, will try to shoot people to get what they need. You know, it's not going to do you much good to be rich anymore because nobody wants your diamonds. They want food. They want shelter. They want warmth. 
You know, people who are up in the north are probably going to freeze to death. People who live in the south, if they're old, they're going to die of heat exhaustion. And none of this is explored, you know. It's so fascinating to think about this. When I started reading it and I thought about the premise and I thought, wow, this is going to be so interesting to see this stuff, to see how these women are going to function. And we see none of it, basically none of it. It's all about York. So I, 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 there, I kept running into this time and time again. There's a scene where these wives of Republican senators come because they want their husband seats. And there's some gunfire, and, and then it's like, well, there's going to be elections in a couple months. Elections? Who the fuck cares about elections when you're having to shoot people to get some food? There's no government. How is the government going to communicate what it needs to to the citizens that are left? No electricity, no, no telephone, no radio, no newspapers, no nothing. There's no way. What are they going to do, send out horse messengers? There's not even that many horses because all the male ones are dead. Like, I just don't understand how this can work. I don't understand how all this intelligence about Yorick is being passed around all over the place. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't hold together. There's no logical consistency to this. And people do things that don't make any sense either. The geneticist woman, Dr. Mann, at the very beginning, goes to the hospital because she's having a baby. And the first thing she says to the guy is, oh, this baby's a clone. And it's an illegal thing, and we probably shouldn't have it in a regular place. Why the fuck did she tell him that? Who needs to know if it's illegal? What, like, what kind of sense does that make? Nobody's going to do that. And then, to cap it off, okay, she's a brilliant geneticist. We find out later she got tenured at Harvard when she was really, really young. And she's got this idea in her head that by having this baby, which she says is male, it caused the plague. Like, okay, you went to medical school? You're supposed to be smart. How could you possibly think that a baby being born would cause a plague that at the very instant the baby was born caused men in China to die? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that she would believe that. So two months later... There's no autopsies. You know, I'm, I'm sure that somewhere there was a hospital with a generator and somebody decided to, to try and find out what killed all these guys. Never made any reference to it. The doctor says, Dr. Mann says that all of the um, fetuses and all the males in the world are, are dead. How do we know that? If there's probably no communication, we don't know that for sure. We don't know that all the fetuses, whatever, spontaneously aborted. There's never any follow-up on that. We just have to accept it and go along. I, I can't buy that. I just can't buy it. It's all convenience for the sake of the story to have Yorick isolated and on his little road trip with his fucking monkey. Um, some other things that really bugged me about this first issue. We meet his sister, Hero. You know, they obviously had a stupid dad who gave them these impossible names. And... Um, as we find out later in the book, you know, she gets brainwashed by these Amazons. I'll get to them in a second. But the first time we see her, she's fucking a guy in the back of an ambulance. And two of her co-workers are talking about what a whore she is because she's been fucking all these men. So immediately it's set up for us to understand that there's something wrong with her, that she's not a good character because she sleeps around. It's there. It's right there. I'm not reading into this. That's exactly what the author is saying. There is something wrong with her character. We are having some foreshadowing here because she sleeps around and because, um, you know, her, her female co-workers hate her because she's been sleeping with too many guys. There you go. That really bugged me. Part of the other thing that um, I really did not like about 
this whole three, okay, so we're back in the I don't like it category, moving away from the it, it's just um, gibberish category. I don't like the fact that it moves so slowly. Oh my God. Pages and pages of people talking to each other with nothing going on and this stupid plot that is just so fucking complicated with the Israelis and, oh, like, what? Just get on with it. Why does it have to go for so many pages and people making speeches and, oh, I just couldn't stand it. It was so slow moving. I was so impatient, especially going through book two, which is all about York and his buddies going to the the village where the the women's prison used to be. God, speed it up. Cut about 20 pages out of that and you might have a good story. Uh, So that was the thing I didn't like. Um, Getting back to the just plain goofy category, Daughters of the Amazon, um, cutting off their left breasts, um... I don't quite understand why they exist and why they're doing that. I know they're spouting this nonsense about, you know, getting rid of the patriarchy, but, you know, face it, there's no men left. (laughs) There can't be a patriarchy if there aren't any men left. Um, And somehow they find out about Yorick, which I I don't really understand and I don't care. Um, But, there. So okay, there we go. Daughters of the Amazon, how are they supporting themselves? Are they stealing food? Are they killing other women for their food? Um, where are they getting the fuel for their vehicles? Where are they getting, you know, their walkie-talkies from and all the rest of it? And isn't it completely obvious to everybody else who sees them that they are just bug-fuck crazy? I am sure that in such a world as Brian K. Vaughan envisions, it would become extremely violent extremely quickly. And if you didn't know how to fire a gun, you'd probably learn pretty quickly. Um, and if you saw this little band of wackos who think that all vestiges of the patriarchy need to be exterminated and they don't want to work for their food. Um, And they came around talking about, you know, how horrible your beloved husband or your dad or your son was. Wouldn't you just pop them? I think I would. (laughs) They're crazy. They seem like a threat. They seem like they threaten whatever social integrity is left in the world. I can't believe that they're just roaming around doing whatever it is they're doing and defacing property and acting nutso like that. I think somebody would shoot them and put them out of their misery. I really do. And if it wasn't, um, you know, police, whatever police there were, it would be a private citizen. Yeah. So I just can't see a bunch of psychotic, one-breasted women running around with bows and arrows doing this kind of shit. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make any sense. And this what the one breast thing you know it's like greek it's myth it doesn't it's just ridiculous very very frustrating there's kind of no point in feminism if there aren't any men you know feminism is all about equality that's what it is it's wanting equal footing with men in our society which we don't have the equal rights amendment never passed you know women are not equal with men but if there aren't any men nothing really to be equal with I did like the fact that the issue of racism was raised at least once. That would have been a much more interesting thing to explore than the fucking daughters of the Amazon with their wacko leader. Another thing that falls into the stupid category and not the I don't like it category is in this last book that I read um, in three. There's a whole thing about a space capsule that had some men in it. It was going to crash down. And of course they get burned up and die because we couldn't have any other men. Um, and out in the middle of nowhere, East Bumfuck, Kansas, there's a, a, a hot suite, a place that's supposed to be protected from plagues and things like that. And there's some women who are running it. 
and uh, that's where the the female astronaut who survives gets to be put in. And, you know, they're hanging around there and stuff happens. And all the while I'm thinking, why aren't they getting Yorick to donate, like, some sperm samples to keep them in deep freeze? This would seem like the perfect place to do it. It's a extremely high-tech medical facility. You would think that they would have a deep freeze. I don't know where they're getting their electricity from, by the way. I guess they must have their own generators, which are going to run out as soon as they don't have any oil anymore because I didn't see any solar panels. Um, why not do it, you know? Why not just get him to donate some sperm? Because you never know. It might be a good thing to have around. Um, I guess that's something else that I don't understand. It was not explained in these three books. They make mention of the fact that these stupid fucking daughters of the Amazon are running around burning down the sperm banks. Well, okay, if there's no electricity, it doesn't matter because you need the electricity to keep them cold, as I understand it. Um, But I can't believe that they could target every single one in the whole country. It looks like there's, you know, ten of them. That doesn't make any sense. There are sperm banks in other countries in the world, and apparently that's not part of the story. You would think that um, first order of business would try to be to get as many women pregnant as possible, but, you know, we never kind of see that. And even if the daughters of the Amazon were running around burning down sperm banks, wouldn't there have been time to take the sperm and impregnate some women anyway? I mean, just to kind of see what would happen. So there's all these gaps, you know? It just... Oh, Jesus, it just doesn't make any sense. It pisses me off when it's bad science fiction in a comic book and nobody's calling him on it. Nobody's saying, wow, your science doesn't make any sense here. This plot is full of holes that you could drive several Mack trucks through. No, because it's all about Yorick. It's all about why. The stupidest guy in the whole world who's totally self-centered, he wants to get back to his girlfriend who might be dead. You know, he has no way of knowing whether she's alive or not. He can't even put the survival of the entire human species in front of his little worry that he has to be faithful to his girlfriend. He cannot look outside himself and no one is forcing him to look outside himself. I don't think that's the way it's going to be. I think that there are smarter people than that in this world. And if there was a huge global catastrophe of this type, the smarter people would make sure that some of that stuff happened. I really believe that because I'm pretty optimistic about the human race. As stupid and fucked up as we are sometimes, I just can't believe this. So before I start yelling into the microphone about how angry I am about this book, I'm just going to wrap it up and say I think it's a stupid book. I think the science is all wrong. If you want to read about the science behind cloning, I will put in a link to Ginger's review over at Lincoln Heights because she explains why with clones they turn out to be female. Um, and I don't think they've overcome that problem in this little alternate universe that Brian Kavon has proposed. But I just never want to read any of this again. I think it's a, an incredible premise that was completely wasted on this. I don't like what he's done with it. I think it's boring. I think it's trite. I think it, it trots out every cliche that you've ever seen about the end of the world. And in the end, i got to say, <laughs> for all the women that are in there, it's not a book about women at all. It, it's a book about Yorick. Stupid fucking Yorick. It's not about the women. <laughs> you know, the man. It's all about him. It's always got to be about him. So, there you go. Take it or leave it. I hope that you enjoyed this rant. Um, if you would care to send me comments, you absolutely can. It's not going to change my mind one whit about this. I will continue to hate this book until the day I die. So, thank you for listening. This has been an I Read Comics rant. <laughs>
Now that I have that out of my system, I want to wrap things up in a much more calm tone of voice. I wanted to mention that uh, somebody who knows Harlan Ellison alerted him to the existence of the show that I did with Catherine wherein we discussed Boy and His Dog and apparently sent him a CD of the show. So that made me a little bit nervous. Uh, not that I think Harlan cares what I have to say about him, but, you know, one one never quite knows. I didn't see any discussion on the forum over at his website about it, but uh, anyway, it's just a little weird knowing he has a copy of what we talked about, although he might find it interesting. One never knows. Um, the, so the reason that I wanted to become a hermit was, in addition to having to read through this Why the Last Man again, I spent some time today online reading the live journal of a woman named Leah Hernandez, <coughs> who's a cartoon, a cartoon, she's a comic artist, who recently decided to leave comics. And through her, I, I read a bunch of other blogs and some um, columns at uh, Buzzscope and various other comments that women had made. And it was a lot of information about the marginalization of women in comics, which we know exists because comics is part of society. But there were also a lot of personal stories about things that had happened to women, artists and writers, that just pointed up the fact that casual sexism is everywhere. And it was really kind of painful to read stories about, you know, women being sexually harassed and groped at cons and told by editors that unless they slept with them, their work wouldn't be published. And women who decided not to cooperate and were blacklisted for that. And, you know, when I started doing this podcast, I was doing it because I thought, God, there's a lot of comic podcasts out there. There should be a woman who's doing it too. Just have a different point of view. And through the feedback I've gotten from people who sent me email, it it seems like there is a point of view that comes from me. And part of it is because I'm a woman and I have a life and I read comic books too on top of that. And I think in some way I was hoping that by doing this it could make a difference to some people, to some to some men, that if they heard me talking about it in my point of view, it might cause them to think about things a little bit differently or just to consider a different point of view than the one that they might have. And maybe to think, maybe for the first time, it seems, why it might be really offensive to a woman to see a character like Power Girl plastered all over the place or to see female superheroes constantly being drawn with gigantic breasts and crotch shots of them and the casual exploitation of the female body wherever and whenever it can possibly be done. And when I read about the stuff that happens in the industry, it makes me really depressed and it just makes me feel like progress is so slow and then I start to wonder if there is any progress at all and when I see things come out all the time and and I see and I see the comments made when people when women say these sorts of things when they bring them up when they express their opinion so many responses from men are either you're overreacting get over it or nobody cares what you have to say or This is the way it's always been. Get used to it. So many comments like that. And it's really, I don't know, it it just really makes me wonder. You know, it makes me wonder why this has to go on. And it makes me wonder if doing this podcast is helping at all. I don't know. 
I saw the Maori Jesus walking on Wellington Harbour. He wore blue dungarees. His beard and hair were long. His breath smelt of mussels and paroa. When he smiled, it looked like the dawn. When he broke wind, the little fishes trembled. When he frowned, the ground shook. When he laughed, everybody got drunk. The Maori Jesus came on shore and picked out his twelve disciples. One cleaned toilets in the railway station. His hands were scrubbed red to get the shit out of the pores. One was a call girl who turned it up for nothing. One was a housewife who'd forgotten the pill and stuck her TV set in the rubbish can. One was a little office clerk who tried to set fire to the government buildings. Yes, and there were several others. One was an old, sad queen. One was an alcoholic priest going slowly mad in a respectable parish. The Maori Jesus said, Man, from now on, the sun will shine. He did no miracles. He played the guitar sitting on the ground. The first day, he was arrested for having no lawful means of support. The second day, he was beaten up by the cops for telling a D his house was not in order. The third day, he was charged with being a Maori and given a month in Mount Crawford. The fourth day, he was sent to Porirua for telling a screw the sun would stop rising. The fifth day lasted seven years while he worked in the asylum laundry, never out of the steam. The sixth day, he told the head doctor, I am the light in the void. I am who I am. The seventh day, he was lobotomized. The brain of God was cut in half. On the eighth day, the sun did not rise. It didn't rise the day after. God was neither alive nor dead. The darkness of the void, mountainous, mile-deep, civilized darkness, sat on the earth from then till now.